0: So much, don't you love and appreciate, Pastor Mitch and Susan? Give them a hand. Really enjoy them. Uh, we want to thank you as a church for giving so faithfully uh, to Victory Church, because as Pastor Mitch has said, that gives you not just uh, the resources to take care of everything in the house, but do a lot of things beyond and. We're recipients of that. So thank you very much because you're so helpful. I want to show a couple pictures. First of all uh, is my family. And uh, this is uh, my wife, Lisa, over here. Uh, We've been married just a couple months before Pastor Mitch and Susan. So we're in our 43rd, uh, approaching our 43rd anniversary as well. My son, my daughter. And uh, you can pray uh, with us for grandkids. At First, pray for spouses. Uh, Both of my kids are single. If you want to talk to us, uh, you feel free to just visit with us after the service. Uh, The next picture that we want to show you is um, uh, these are the countries that my wife and I have been privileged to travel in. Uh, We've had a couple years off because of all the travel problems with uh, the restrictions and so on, but we're heading to Guatemala, uh, Turkey. Uh, England, France, uh, Austria, and then later in the year we'll be in Brazil, so we're excited about getting back overseas. Uh, the, I know your pastor has probably been as as many countries as any pastor that I know, and uh, he's been telling us some of his stories. Have you heard some of his stories from overseas? And uh, I, I'm just thankful I don't have any stories like that. We've never almost been run over by a tank. Um, just you know, we just we we have a boring ministry compared to you, and I am praying it stays that way. Uh, we want boring, uh, we, good meetings, but but we don't want all the extra adventures that Pastor Mitch has had uh, in some of those. Um, man, I'm just I'm just glad that uh, he's still alive. I'm glad that we're still alive and just all serving the Lord. Uh, Next picture, these are the books that we've been privileged to put out over the years. Uh, The center stack are the English uh, versions, and the stacks on the left and the right are the ones in foreign translations, and we're just so grateful, uh, thankful to be able to do that, and uh, these books are being used in Bible schools uh, uh, to train ministers in many parts of the world. Uh, I just found out recently we have uh, some translations coming out in Hindi and Nepali uh, in the very near future, so these are continuing to grow and expand. Uh, The next picture just shows you eight of the books that we have. These are all back at the table at the back. Um, If any of these are of interest to you, of help to you, uh, we'd be grateful uh, for you to uh, be able to access those. I think we have another picture here. Uh, These are the four most recent books that all came out during the, you know, coronavirus situation and have another one coming from the printer, uh, February the 10th, and then one that we're kind of working on here. Uh, So we're continuing to write and have a great time. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for Victory Church, and thank you for Pastor Mitch and Susan and, and all the people in leadership, all the people that serve, all the people that give, everybody that draws fellowship here and receives ministry here, the people that come in to worship in this Place, Father, we just speak blessing to this entire church and, and, and the people not only uh, here present but Lord those watching online as well. Father, we just pray that today will be a day of of, of laser precision. Uh, targeted ministry, we pray that you will pinpoint the the needs of each individual and that, Father, through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God, uh, ministry will be released from the Holy Spirit, healing and restoration and peace. And, Lord, we just thank you that every need will be addressed and powerfully touched by the Spirit of God today. Lord, you want to comfort your people. You want to strengthen your people. Lord, you want to give us wisdom and insight uh, for the days that we're living in. And Father, we just thank you for uh, touched lives, changed lives today, strengthened lives. And and Lord, we look to you and trust you to do that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and open our Bibles if you have them to James chapter one. But I wanna show you a picture first. I wanna uh, show you a picture. Uh, Take a look at the screen and somebody tell me what you see. Uh, be, you know, step up. Tell, what do you see there? You see snow. And what? Uh, it, it, that's something that North Carolina has been seeing a little bit of lately. And uh, I just got, I texted a friend last night and he pastors up kind of close to the Boston area. And he said they had 24 inches and it was still uh, snowing. So he was going to be uh, preaching from his home today, uh, but, but what do you see in that picture? Uh, you see a couple vehicles. What would you guess would be a phrase to describe the types of vehicles those are? Off-road, all-terrain, what would be another word? How about four-wheel drive? Today, I want to talk to you about being a four-wheel drive Christian, now, my wife and I, we're from Oklahoma. We've lived there for 42 years, but or 43 now coming up. Uh, but we grew up in north central Indiana and got a lot more snow. And uh, since we've been in Oklahoma, it really hasn't been much of a need uh, for four-wheel drive vehicles. And maybe you're kind of in the same case here. Um, but you know what? The folks that live up in the Dakotas, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Northeast, they will really benefit from four-wheel drive, won't they? Because if they don't have four-wheel drive, they may end up looking like this next picture. Take a look at that. How many of you just, your heart is thankful that you're not sitting in that right now? You're not stuck in traffic like that. Did you hear that episode here uh, just a month or so ago in up near Washington, D.C., up in Virginia, uh, where, where uh, cars got stuck on the interstate for more than 24 hours? How many of you heard about that? How many of you heard about that in the warmth and comfort of your own home? How many of you said, God, thank you that that's not me? Um, you know, so, so the four-wheel drive, what, what does a four-wheel drive vehicle do for you? It gets you places that you can't go, you know, if you don't have four-wheel drive. Now, please understand I'm not selling vehicles today. I'm not selling cars today. Because I'm not really even caring or, you know, wanting to know about what you actually drive on the road. But I want to encourage you to become what we're going to call today a four-wheel drive Christian. Because if you are a four-wheel drive Christian, it will get you places uh, spiritually. It will advance you and promote you and propel you forward in life. Uh, that people who are not four-wheel-drive Christians uh, cannot go. Now, James chapter 1, reading from the New King James Version, says, my brethren, and I want you to look for four uh, key thoughts here in James chapter 1, my brethren, count it all what? Now, how many of you enjoyed the worship today? Lisa and I loved that worship. If you didn't enjoy that worship, you might want to check and make sure your heart is beating and that your lungs are operational uh, because that was good worship. And uh, I didn't tell, you know, the worship team. I don't even think Pastor Mitch knew. I don't think what I was going to preach on today. Uh, But the first thing that that James says is, my brethren, count it all what? Count it all joy. And uh, in that first song... Uh, that was sung today in in worship, Uh, it had this phrase, I'm trading my sorrow. How many of you know sometimes we need to trade in some things? And uh, when you trade, what do you do? You get an exchange. You give what you have and you get what somebody else has. Uh, and, And in the song, it said, I'm trading my sorrow for the joy of the Lord is my strength. So if you want to be a four-wheel drive Christian, you can't live your life just based on one spiritual principle. How many of you know the Bible is loaded with spiritual principles and the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Did you notice that Jesus did not say that we will live by bread? selected words that proceed from the mouth of God, or isolated words. We shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so that means I can... Now, now how many of you have what you might call a life verse? You, you just, there's just one verse. If, if somebody comes up to you and says, what is the most important verse in the Bible to you? And man, that you just immediately say for a lot of people, it's Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, you know, people have different verses. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a life verse, but make sure you have more than just one verse. You know, one person said this, if the only tool that you have in your toolkit is a hammer, it's amazing how much everything looks like a nail. So you want to have a lot of weapons in your arsenal. Uh, Did you know that when, when Satan came to Jesus, you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Satan came and threw one temptation, and Jesus said, it is written... Did you know that the devil didn't stop when Jesus quoted one verse? The devil challenged him again. And Jesus didn't say, well, I only know that one verse. I, I didn't know you were going to tempt me twice. No, Jesus said, it is also written. And, and when the devil threw, you need to know, how many of you know the devil knows a lot of verses, And he's a master at twisting and distorting and deceiving and manipulating. And you need to know the word of God well. And you need to have weapons in your arsenal. That's why you can't be a one-wheel drive Christian. You need to have multiple tools. And in this case, you need to have multiple wheels uh, coming from your spiritual life. And the first thing that James says is, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. So faith is the second tire, as it were, the second wheel that you have in your four-wheel drive vehicle. You've got the tire of joy that is spinning and gaining traction. You've got the tire of faith that is gaining traction for you. And then he says, the trying of your faith produces what? Patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. If you want to know what we're going to be talking about today, I'm going to be talking about four spiritual forces. And these aren't the only spiritual forces that God has given us to have traction and momentum in life and not to get stuck in the difficult seasons of life. But I'm going to talk to you today. Everybody say this with me. Joy, faith, patience, wisdom. If you have those four operating in your life, you're not going to get stuck. If you have those four operating in your life, you're going to make progress when other people get stuck. And I'm going to tell you right now that you need all four operating. Can I tell you something? And I'm not trying to be critical or, or negative, but a lot of people have gotten stuck in their spiritual life in the last couple of years. A lot of people have totally... Uh, lost their momentum. They've lost their mojo in the last few years. Why? Because they have been hit. People have been hit these last few years. They've been hit spiritually, emotionally, uh, mentally, financially, relationally. People have been hit through this situation of the last few years and it's just like it's just like a heavy snowstorm that has put so much snow on the road and and I think spiritually a lot of people have just abandoned their cars and walked you know and, and so we're going to talk about how you can keep your spiritual mojo by being a four-wheel drive Christian let's first of all talk about this first element that James presented and it is joy Count it all joy when, did you notice he didn't say if? I wish he'd said if, you fall into various trials. Because I don't know about you, but I'd like to skate through life and never have any trials, wouldn't you? But let's be honest, Christianity wasn't just birthed and, and born and, and became available to you for the comfortable, easy times of life. Christianity is a rugged faith, Christianity is a tough faith. It has stood the fires of time. It has stood the fires of persecution. It has stood the fires of empires rising and falling. It has stood through wars. It has stood through famines and plagues and persecutions. Christianity is tough. The faith that God gives you is not a wimpy, sissy type of faith. It's a tough, powerful faith. And and James didn't say, if you ever happen to have a problem, he said, no, you're going to have challenges. And when you do, when you fall into various trials, you need to count it all joy. Now, can I tell you something? How many of you have flesh to deal with? How many of you, your mind doesn't always want to think the way God wants your mind to think? That's why the Bible says we have to present our bodies to God. That's why the Bible says we have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And and I'll tell you what, when you get hit by certain types of trials, the last thing in the world your natural self wants to do is to count it all joy. How many of you can without a whole lot of effort fall into criticizing, grumbling, complaining, self-pity when when bad things happen. Let me see your hand. Be honest, okay? Uh, I mean, that's just natural to say that something bad happens to you and you're going to count it joy. It, it, to me, it's unnatural. It, it's counterintuitive You know, my flesh wants to grumble, complain, throw a pity party, etc. But James tells us, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we need to count it all joy. See, Satan is after your joy probably more than anything else because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if he can get your joy, he can get your strength. And if he can get you weak... And, 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 and then he can just begin to pile on. I think there's a lot of people, Pastor Mitch, that over these last couple of years, they've just gotten spiritual fatigue because they lost their joy. They didn't get their joy back. And all these other things came flooding in, fears and concerns and worries and things like that. And it just hasn't let up. And until people get their joy back, Now, when we talk about counting it all joy, I know that's hard, but it's an imperative that we do. James didn't say, think about counting it all joy. He just said, count it all joy. You say, does that mean we're joyful because of the problem? I don't think so. We're joyful because we have a God who's bigger than the problem. I don't know who's playing today in football. I haven't followed it that close, but, but I think some aren't we still in the playoffs and things like that. And some teams are probably going to be going up against other teams, and, and uh, they know that that other team is going to be there to you know, hurt them and tackle them and you know, pound them and things like that. So do they, does the one team count it joy because the other team is going to be you know, doing those things? No, they count it joy because they believe they can beat the other team. We don't count it joy because we're facing a problem. We count it joy because we have a God who's bigger than the problem and who can sustain us through the problem and who can lead us through the problem. And, and we believe that no weapon formed against us will prosper. That's why we count it all joy. We believe that God has something bigger and better for us on the other side of that thing. There's a story, and I, I, I don't. it's hard to imagine this is true, uh, I think maybe somebody created this story to be a, uh, an illustration uh, about a child behavioral psychologist who wanted to test uh, how kids respond to negative uh, situations. And so they created this uh, psychological test uh, to monitor how different kids responded to negative stimulus And uh, of course, they didn't want to hurt the kids. They didn't want it to do something that would, you know, cause physical pain or whatever. But they thought, well, let's create a negative atmosphere for them and uh, monitor them. You know, they had one of those mirrors with they could see through. And and, and what they did was they went out to a farm and they got a whole uh, pickup truckload of uh, horse manure. And they put this horse manure fairly fresh into a uh, cubicle, into a little small room, and uh, they had their mirror there, their one-way mirror, so they could watch. The little kid would go in there, and and, uh, so they took this one kid who kind of was a whiny kid and negative and, you know, tended to, you know give up easy and things like that. So they took this little kid and put him in that room and, and he just, he smells it, man, it smells bad, it looks bad. And, and this kid predictably just starts whining and, you know, belly aching and, and, you know, all that. Well, they're not trying to traumatize, so they get him out of there and, you know, they make the results and things like that. And then they took this other kid and this little kid uh, was known for being real cheerful and positive and optimistic. And they take this little kid and stick him in the room with all the manure. And he, he looks around, smells, and, man, he starts clapping his hands, and he starts jumping up and down, and he's all happy. And, and, and the, the guy writing all this down is, uh, he's thinking, man, that's kind of weird. And uh, so he goes in, gets him out, and he says, you know, Johnny, he said, uh, you seemed really happy in there. What's, what's the deal? And he said, with all that manure in there, there just has to be a pony around here somewhere. (laughs) And, And, you know, so we can ask, you know, what kind of person are we? Are we the person that we get some negative stuff going on, and so we just whine and complain and feel sorry for ourselves? You know, and there may be some people right now, Pastor Mitch, that they're stopping and thinking about this and what's been going on in their life, and they might be making an adjustment and say, "Man, there just must be a pony around here somewhere." You know, with all I, how many of you been going through a lot, and you're thinking right now, maybe God has a pony for your future? You know, uh, you're facing some stuff, but anyway. The Bible says, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, this is the verse from the song earlier that was so powerful. I'm glad we got to sing it together. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, here's the thing we need to understand happiness and joy are not the same thing. There's a lot of things. Did you ever notice the connection? I think if you study this, the history of the word, the etymology of happy, that it actually connects back to the word happen. Happy in in one sense of the term. You may define it differently, but but in an etymological sense of the term, happy has a lot to do with what happens. It's very circumstantial. And if you live in the realm of walking by sight, walking by your feelings... And then, then your happiness is going to be totally contingent on what happens. So, what happens when what happens isn't good? You are not happy. But you know what the Bible says in Psalm sixteen eleven: the joy of the Lord, well, I'm sorry, uh, in your presence is fullness of joy. And it says in. Uh, proverbs 17:22 uh, a joyful heart is a good medicine so here's here's what we i'm going to have to decide am i going to live based on what happens or am i going to live based on the presence of the lord because in the presence of the lord there is fullness of joy Joy is like a medicine to my heart. The joy of the Lord is the strength of my life. And can I tell you something? In the presence of God, there is consistency. In what happens in life, there is often complete inconsistency. So you're going to have to decide, are you going to live a happy-based life? Uh, And how many of you like being happy? I like being happy. I like it when good things happen and all that. But what happens when good things don't happen and and the bottom might tend to fall out on your happiness? You can still, in the presence of the Lord, find fullness of joy. So the first thing that James says in dealing with adversity and dealing with these kinds of challenges is to count it all joy when you fall into various kinds of trials. Secondly, he says, knowing this, that the trying or the testing of your faith. Can I tell you something? Your faith will be tested. We live in a world, we live in a fallen world. Satan is the God of this world. You're living in this fallen world with all kinds of people who aren't fully renewed and fully spiritual and, and, and people live and work in all kinds of imperfect environments and things of that nature. Your faith, your trust in God will be tested. So what are we going to do with the testing of our faith? We need to understand what 1 John 5, 4 says. John said, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I just wonder in these last couple of years... How many people have number one not counted adversity as joy and, and they've let their trust really be kicked around? They've really let their trust, their confidence in level, their confidence level in God uh, to be shaken. The Bible says that that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so the question is this are we overcoming or are we being overcome? And there is nothing wrong with a Christian if you've been if you've been more the tail than the head, if you've been more beneath than above, that there's nothing wrong as a matter of fact you need to be honest with God and say God, you know, I've been really getting kicked around these last couple of years. You know, I've been off my foundation. I've been Did you know that you can't fix a problem you don't have? And there's nothing wrong with being honest about God. You know, I love that man who said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And you know what Jesus did when the man said, man, my faith isn't as strong as it should be. Did you know Jesus didn't say, get out of here with that unbelief. Don't you come back to me until your faith is perfect. Jesus helped the man because he was honest and he said, Lord, I I have some faith. I I do believe, but I'm, I'm struggling here. Help my unbelief. Did you know that when you're having a problem, you need to run to God, not away from God? Don't let shame, embarrassment, fear, anxiety cause you to think that God doesn't love you and that he won't love you until you're perfect. You know what? God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. God will never say, you've got a problem, go away until you fix that problem, and when you're perfect, come back to me. That is not God's way. Because God doesn't expect us to fix our own problems apart from him. He says, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Listen, God is not condemning you for flaws and faults. God is telling you to come to him. The Bible says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. Why do we need the mercy? Because we're not perfect. We do have flaws. But he said that we might have find mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. God wants to strengthen our faith. The Bible talks about the spirit of faith, the shield of faith, the joy of faith, the breastplate of faith, the work of faith, words of faith, the fight of faith, the assurance of faith, and the prayer of faith. The Bible says that your faith will be tested. Number one, don't give up on your joy. Count, count the challenges as a joy and then continue to feed your faith, grow in faith, build your trust in God. And then this next uh, statement that, that James makes, the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. I had a pastor friend jokingly the other day write me a text, total joke, and he said, he said, would you write a book and would you write it really fast? Would you hurry up and write this book on patience? He's joking. You know, how many of you have said, Lord, I want patience and I want it now? Patience. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12 says that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith, and patience inherit the promises. You know, I think we've kind of missed it because in English, the word patience has taken on a connotation of passivity. We think that patience means, well, I can't do anything about it, so I just better sit back and wait till something happens. But really, the the Greek word uh, for patience I'm reading this from one of my books. Uh, It says the word for patience, which James uses, is not a passive word. It does not imply inactivity or refer to miserably tolerating a situation. When you encounter trials, don't just surrender and become resigned and apathetic. That's not patience. Rather, this word refers to a persevering endurance and continuance. One commentary says patience suggests endurance or stamina. It also includes staying power that believers can have because they trust their God. Tested faith becomes spiritually tough and rugged. William Barclay says, hupomone, which is the Greek word, is not simply the ability to bear things. It is the ability to turn them to greatness and to glory. Real faith never runs up the white flag of surrender at the first sign of trouble. Faith comes out swinging. Patience or endurance bolsters your faith, enabling you to respond to challenges with an attitude that boldly declares, I will not quit. Hudson Taylor said, all of our difficulties are only platforms for the manifestations of his grace, power, and love. And in the final part from this chapter, trials in and of themselves don't make you strong spiritually any more than weights in and of themselves make you strong physically. It's what you do against the weights, lifting them, using them to walk or exercise that builds your physical muscles. And it's what you do in the midst of trials, trusting God, rejoicing, persevering, and so forth that develops your spiritual strength. I honestly wish the Bible didn't have anything to say about patience because we don't need it. But we need it so the Bible talks about it. When you read patience, don't think of passivity. Think of of, 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 an assertive, proactive endurance, standing up strongly against any tendency to give in or quit or to lose hope. Let the trying of your faith produce patience, endurance, a standing up against the, the negative pressures. And finally, the Bible says in James chapter uh, 1 here, if any of you lacks wisdom, can I encourage you, don't, don't just be a one-wheel Christian Why well, I just live by faith. But can you imagine somebody trying to live by faith, but they have no joy and they have no patience? how 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 well is that faith going to work for them i think that's going to be a real a real struggle but make sure that in addition to joy and faith and and endurance that you have a good dose of wisdom sometimes sometimes faith isn't the answer for everything now we always trust god but you can't solve every problem by faith. Some problems are only going to be solved by wisdom. When you read through the book of Proverbs, here's what wisdom will do for you. Wisdom will cause you to dwell safely and to be secure without fear of evil. Wisdom, uh, because of wisdom, discretion will preserve you and understanding will keep you. Wisdom enables you to walk in the way of goodness and keep to the paths of righteousness. When you receive wisdom's influence, length of days and long life and peace will be added to you. We're still in the third chapter of Proverbs. Wisdom causes you to find favor and esteem, high esteem in the sight of God and man. Wisdom causes you to fear God and depart from evil, and that will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Following wisdom means that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. When you walk in the ways of wisdom, you discover that length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are the paths of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Wisdom enables you to walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. Everything that I've just read to you is before the end of Proverbs chapter 3. How many of you think you could benefit from wisdom? Starting in chapter 4, and we just have a couple more, wisdom will promote you and bring you to honor. Wisdom causes the years of your life to be many. And then one final verse in Proverbs 9, through wisdom your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. I want to encourage you to be a four-wheel drive Christian, to not just live by faith, we live by faith, but we don't just live by faith alone. We live by the grace of God. We live by the mercy of God. We live by the joy of the Lord. We live by hope. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And if you feel that your life has been stuck this last year, this last couple of years, I want you to really reevaluate how many of these are really operating in your life. How well is the joy of the Lord operating? How how is your faith operating? How is your patience operating? How are you operating in the wisdom of God? I want to encourage you to be a four-wheel drive Christian.